0: You're listening to the Seabreeze Church podcast. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Well, today we have come to the end of our uh, eight-week series of messages. We've been working through the book of First John in the New Testament, and this book challenges challenges us to take the truths that we as Christians agree with and build them into our life, make them real in our lives. Now, the reason this is such an important theme is that when we Make a decision about Jesus Christ. It's not just a matter of truth. It's not just a matter of right and wrong. It's really also a matter of life and death. And that's because this is a real matter. This is a real decision. This isn't like getting the answers right on a driving test at the DMV. This is more like getting the answers right on the road as you actually make driving decisions where the consequences of right and wrong are real. Now, the book of 1 John ends with a summary question in chapter 5. The question is this. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you accepted him? Do you believe in him? Now, this is not just a simple yes or no answer. John always goes deeper. He's not looking just for an answer. He's looking for what is real about us. And so this is an invitation to look at our lives and see if the evidence points to yes or no. Here's what he says, 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 through 13. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. So John starts out by saying, and this is the testimony Testimony is an eyewitness account of what happened. So John was one of the disciples of Jesus who was an eyewitness to what Jesus said and what he did. He was there firsthand. He saw it, and then he wrote down a record of what he saw. It's the Gospel of John in the New Testament. This is basically how we know what has happened in history. People who were there tell us what they saw, what they heard. Now, if there's just one person telling us, we really don't know for sure whether this has happened, because one person can misremember or be skewed by their own agendas. But if multiple people report basically the same thing, the same words, the same things they saw, that's how we verify history. And this is what's happened with Jesus Christ. There were many individuals who were there and saw and recorded the same things that John saw and recorded. So he's referring to his own testimony. So what is the testimony from the eyewitness accounts of John and others who lived with Jesus? John summarizes it this way. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. This is not John's interpretation of what Jesus said. This is actually what Jesus said about himself and about what he came to do. Now, we hear the term eternal life, and we think of a a timeline that goes on forever. A life that goes on forever. But eternal life is more about a kind of life than it is the length of life. And that's because we already have an eternal existence. Our souls, the core of who we are, are eternal. They will go on after our bodies die into eternity. So eternal life and eternal death is talking more about the kind of life that we live Starting in this life and on into the life after this one. There are two basic ways to live. We either live with God in relationship with Him or without God. To live apart from God is to suffer the worst kind of death that begins now and goes on after our physical bodies die. To live with God is to experience life as God intended. A life that also begins now and continues on with God after we die. Now, the challenge for all of us is that we have chosen to live on plan B without God. Now, we didn't do this in some big announcement. Many of us would say that's not our intention, but every time we sin, this is what we say. We do it every time we sin, we make this decision. Every sin. In that moment is a declaration that we are, at that point in time, doing life without God. We are turning our back on God. And our sin says this so loudly and so repeatedly that we can't just say sorry and choose eternal life now. We've thrown that away. Despite our best efforts, we keep throwing it away every time we sin. So, out of love, God decided to give us the gift that we threw away, to give us eternal life. The gift was delivered to earth when God took on a body to die in our place in order to give us an eternal life that we don't deserve and cannot earn. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. That's why James or John rather, goes on to say, this life is in his Son. It's in the Son of God, who is Jesus Christ. It can't be found anywhere else. We can't earn it. We can't discover it. It's a gift that we either accept or we reject. What this means is this. John makes it very clear. It's a very logical set of thoughts. The conclusion is this. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, to be very clear on who has the Son and who does not have the Son, John makes this statement in verse 10 of this chapter. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, saying Jesus was lying when he claimed these things, because they have not believed this testimony, the testimony that God has given about his Son. Now, you can't get much clearer than that. We either accept the testimony about what Jesus said and did, or we reject it. This is either true to us, or it's a big lie. We have to decide. Everyone has to decide. Now, the difficulty comes when you move this truth into everyday life. Here's what I mean by that. Let's say you've decided this is true. I've decided this is true. So you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. You have eternal life. But then, having made that decision, having accepted Jesus, having received eternal life, you sin. Not just once, but again and again and again. So having accepted eternal life, you keep turning your back on God in different ways. So what begins to happen inside a person who does this, and every one of us who have accepted the gift have this struggle, we still sin, you begin to wonder, do I really believe in Jesus? Did I really, really, when we're talking about real, not true, we would get the answers right on test, but am I really a follower of Jesus Christ? Do I really have eternal life? Because if I do, Why do I keep struggling? Why do I keep sinning? God doesn't give out passports that you can look at to verify your citizenship. So you begin to wonder, and you struggle. And you begin to think, you know, this this Christian life is impossible. Maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I can't be a Christian. And either you pull back completely, or at least you kind of pause, and you coast. If you are like me, and you've struggled with this question, this challenge, then 1 John is the book for you. Because here's what John says about the book that he's written. I write these things to you who do believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. What he's saying is everything that's written before this, basically everything we've talked about for the past seven weeks here on Sundays, was written to give us external verification that Jesus is really present in a person's life. Now, the reason there's evidence is because when Jesus enters a life, when we believe in him, he doesn't just hang out inside of a person as a neutral observer. No, he he becomes an active change agent in our lives. He begins to change us. And so if he is in you, You will eventually know it, and the people around you will know it, because there will be signs of the life of Jesus having an influence on your life. So if you believe in Jesus, it will show up in the ways described in 1 John. That's why he wrote this book, to show you the evidence of someone who really is a follower of Jesus Christ and has eternal life. Now, in the book of 1 John, there are three major themes that weave throughout this book. The first one is light and dark. The terms light and dark show up repeatedly throughout this book. The second theme is love, love for God and love for people. And the third theme is the world and how we relate to our particular world. And these three themes all ask a question a question, a life sign question about us. Every one of these themes comes with a question. We're going to look at these questions. Now, if you're here today and you're you're exploring Jesus, you're trying to figure out, do you think this is true? I think this will be really helpful for you, even if you haven't decided yet, because it'll give you a window into what would be true of your life in reality if you decide to follow Jesus. This is the kind of change and shift and impact he's going to make in you. And as you do your thinking, it's very important to look ahead and see, what does this decision mean for me? So I think it'd be very helpful for you. Now, these questions are about signs of life, not perfection. So one of the challenges I have in presenting these is some of you are going to turn this into a to-do list. And you're going to try to work really hard to indicate signs of life. But that's not the way vital signs are. They are the result of life. They're the evidence of life. They are the indicators of life, not the causes of life. So I want to say this very clear. We do not do these three to earn eternal life. Eternal life is a gift given to us through Jesus Christ. But if we do have eternal life these three will show up like a pulse, a heartbeat. The pulse may be very weak, or it may be very strong. But if there's no pulse, then there's reason for concern. So let's look at these three questions. Question number one, do you take sin seriously? Not are you perfect, but do you take sin seriously? The words light and dark, darkness, appear 14 times in this book. Here's one of the places it appears, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, John says. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The implication of that, a few verses later, verses 8 through 9. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If, on the other hand, we confess our sins, he is faithful And just will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. He'll change us over time. Now, no one is perfect. This side of seeing Jesus face to face, we will all sin. We all struggle. But if Jesus is living in you, what that means is he can't stand sin. We tolerate it some. Sometimes we even love it a little. But not Jesus. He can't stand sin. And so if he is in you, what that means is that you can't sin now and ignore it. You can't sin without feeling that and without wanting to do something about it. So if there is a pattern of sin in your life and you're okay with it, you're not doing anything to address it, you're probably not even admitting it, then the valid question is this. Is Jesus really there? Is he really in you? Is there a pulse? Is there there life, spiritual life in you? Now, each of these three questions I'm going to ask is represented by a gauge. So on the left side is spiritual death. On the right side is spiritual life. And the question as we go through these three is not where are you now, but What direction is the needle moving? We're all at different places in our struggle with sin. Some are doing better than others. The question of life, not performance, the question of life is, are you moving towards the life side or are you moving towards the death side? Is the pulse strengthening or is it weakening? Now, for sin, the death side is marked by darkness. You keep your sin in the dark. You claim that you didn't sin, when in fact you did. Now, you may cover it up with lies. Maybe you blame other people. Maybe every time you sin, you find someone to blame for the cause of it. Maybe you simply refuse to agree with what God says is sin. But the bottom line is you rarely, if ever, admit that you have sinned to God or to anyone else. On the other side of the gauge is light. Not the light of perfection, but the light of truth. Those who walk in the light, they confess their sins to God and to other people. And they find the forgiveness of God, and not always, but often the forgiveness of other people. Now, over the years as a pastor, I've had a number of people come to me concerned that they might not be a Christian. And almost always, when I ask them why they think they might not be a Christian, it's not because they're not sure about the truth of what Jesus claimed. In every case, they've said, no, I, I, I agree with that. I, I, I believe the testimony of, about what he said. In every case, it's because they are struggling to gain victory over a particular sin and they've struggled so long and they've been defeated so many times that they've come to the conclusion they must not be a Christian. Because if they were a Christian, they would have gained victory by now. They wouldn't sin in this area like they are. And one of the things I have told every one of these individuals is the fact that they are so concerned about this sin is evidence that Jesus is in them. The evidence that Jesus is not in a person is they have a pattern of sin and they don't, they don't really care. They're fine with it. They're not trying to struggle through it. They're not trying to gain victory. They're not bothered that they, they can't get more victory than they can. No, the, the mark of a Christian is someone who confesses gets back up and keeps moving forward, and then confesses, gets back up and keeps moving forward. This is our life. Keep getting back on track. Christian, The Christian is marked not by perfection, but by confession. We don't hide our sin. We don't blame others for it. We admit it. So I want to review what was said a few weeks ago about this very topic, how to confess your sin to God. There were five suggestions that were made. So let me share these again. First suggestion aim for daily. In other words, try to confess your sin every day. Now, ideally, you would confess your sin immediately. But life is moving fast, and sometimes we. Forget it, or we don't recognize what we've done. Now, we, I'll go out on a limb here and say, you and I sin daily. And so one of the things that I try to do is when I spend time with God in the morning, either before or after or sometimes during, I'll take some time and I'll just pause to confess my sin, to look back over the previous day And try to identify where I sinned, and I'll confess it. I don't get this done every day, but I try to make it a regular occurrence, a daily occurrence. So aim for daily. Next, ask for clarity. Ask God to show you. In that time, ask God, and I'll just say, God, I I just sometimes can't see myself. You know everything. Could you bring to mind any sin that I need to confess, that I didn't confess yesterday? Just ask him to bring it to mind. And then wait a few moments. Usually, he'll bring something really specific. But if nothing comes to mind, that's okay. Just go on. Number three, agree with God. In other words, name the sin. Don't just say, God, would you forgive me for being a sinner? Say, God, in that situation with my wife, I got angry. Would you forgive me for my anger and my harsh words against her? God, I lied. It wasn't a big lie, but it was a lie. Father, I, I was lazy in that moment. I didn't take the opportunity because I just didn't. I was lazy. In that moment, I veered off into lust, and I spent 10, 15 minutes allowing my mind to get off into that ditch. I confess that to you. Father, I, in that whole conversation, I didn't really think about the other person. I was just thinking about me and how to make myself look good. Would you forgive me for my pride? Just confess it. Name it. Call it what God calls it. And then ask for next steps. Part of confession is repentance. If you were angry with your wife and you said harsh words, you confess that to God, but then you confess that to her and ask for her forgiveness. If you lied, you go to the people you lied to and you make it right. You tell them the truth. You ask their forgiveness for lying to them. You act to make things right if you can't. You, you can't always, but if you can, you do that. And then lastly, thank him. Thank him for his mercy. You're forgiven. You don't earn forgiveness. It's been given to you through what Jesus did. Accept God's mercy and move on. It is done. The matter is done. So question number one, do you take sin seriously? Question number two, are you part of a local church? This is the question about our love for God and our love for others. Here's one of the places it's mentioned, 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Now, the word love shows up 51 times in this short five-chapter book of 1 John. It's the biggest theme. It's mentioned over and over again. What it's saying is, if you really love God, you will love people. These two are linked together. If you don't love someone who you can see, then you can't really love God whom you can't see. Now, why didn't I say, why isn't point number two, are you growing in your love of others and of God? Why did I say, are you part of a local church? Well, it's because 1 John is not about nodding your head in agreement with the idea of love and feeling good about your intentions. 1 John is about what is real. And love, I think, is the most light-about word in our vocabulary. We nod yes because we feel something or we intend something. But love is an up-close, face-to-face, in-the-trenches challenge of life activity. So when, Don, when John talks about love... He gets specific, and he gets real, and he uses the words brother or sister. Not people in the world, but brother or sister to describe the context of our love. He's not speaking about your biological family. He's speaking about your spiritual family. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, he makes it very clear. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that's what we are. So if Jesus is in you, like he's in me, then we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Home is where biological families do life together. They don't hang out at home the whole time, but it's home base from where they go out. It is where they love, really love, or don't. The local church, conversely, is where Christians do life together. We don't live here. We gather, and then we go out. It's where we do or do not love one another. It is in the church where love gets real. Not just feelings, not just intentions, not just nodding, real. And you know, we first learn about love in the families that we grew up in, And in those families, we either learned how to love or how not to love. Usually, it's kind of a mixture of both. So God doesn't just give us eternal life and save us from our sins and leave us on our own to navigate life. He adopts us into his family. We become his children. Why? So that we might experience his love for us and learn how to love others. He puts us in his family the family of God, the church. One of the statements I hear often is this. You know, I love Jesus. I'm committed to Jesus. I just don't like church. That's kind of like telling me that you like me, you just don't like my kids. (laughs) Don't try it. (laughs) Because if you like me, one of my requirements is you at least tolerate my kids and I really would prefer you like them. So why would we think we could say to God, you know, I love Jesus. I just don't like his body. I don't like his family. I don't like his kids. He wouldn't accept that. That's, that's not real. That's not the way it works. If you like me, you will care about my kids too. Now, I agree that it's much easier to love a God that you can't see than people that you can see. Church life, like family life, is a challenge. It can get messy. But that's what love is. That's where love gets real. So on the death side of the spiritual life gauge is isolation. On the right side is community, where we love one another and forgive one another and serve one another and care about one another. So, let me ask the question, are you part of a local church? Now, I know you're attending one today, but that's not my question. This is not an attendance question. This is a belonging question. You know, if someone's in your home, that doesn't mean they're family. It's very different to show up than it is to belong. Being a Christian is, in some ways, kind of like being a football player. It is a team endeavor. There are individual responsibilities, but you can't play football alone and you can't be a Christian alone. You you tell me that you're a football player, what's my first question? What team? Not, oh, neat. Where can I see you exercise? No, it's what team? The next question is, what position do you play? What's your part on the team? It's the same if you tell me you're a Christian. My first question is, that's great. What church are you a part of? Question number two, what do you do there? How do you, how do you help? Not how do you spectate, but how do you get on the field and move the ball forward? How, how do you do what the team does? What's your part? Doesn't have to be a big part, but what is it? Are you a part? of the local church. Because it's only as you are a part that you have to really wrestle with loving people. Now, you you can love everyone here cuz you're all staring looking at me. But if you start doing stuff together things might get a little challenging cuz people can be challenging. But that's where love gets real. Now how do you know if you're a part? Again, you have a part But another way of knowing is, if you disappear, somebody notices. When I was young, we went on a family cross-country trip. We're from Canada, so we were crossing some of the prairie lands in Canada. And we stopped at a fruit stand, and my dad told everyone, we're only taking 10 minutes. My brother, who I think was probably 10 at the time, heard that, but he loved throwing rocks at this point. So he found a big pile of rocks, and he was off to the side throwing rocks. My dad hollered, all right, everyone, back in the car. We got back in the car and took off. My brother was not there. And, um, but that only lasted 30 seconds, a minute. I forget who noticed, but we noticed. He wasn't there. And we went back, and he was hysterical. We all felt that, bad. My dad was just mad, you know, how that goes. Because I think he felt really bad. But if you're part of a family and you just disappear, you're not there, people will notice. So one of the questions is, is if you disappear, is anyone going to notice? This is not a database question. This is a relationship question. Will anyone say, hey, where are they? And give you a call. Now, if you're new and you're trying to figure all this out, we're so glad you're here. But I would encourage you, if you decide to follow Jesus Christ, we'd love to have you be a part. A couple ways you can do that is help out. You'll hear ideas and things you can do to to help us accomplish things in different ways. Volunteer, help out, serve on a team. Another way is the one that we just mentioned in the video that Steve mentioned, join a growth group. This is the best way to get to know other people here at Seabreeze and to grow. So, number one, do you take sin seriously? Number two, are you part of a local church? Number three, is your moral thinking unpopular? The world is another dominant theme in the book of 1 John. It's mentioned 23 times. Here's what it says in part, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, when it says the world, this is not talking about the planet we live on. This is talking about the dominant ideas that exist in the minds of the people who run the world, who live in the world. Now, this verse was written 2,000 years ago. A lot of the thinking in the world back then was clearly wrong. But what about now? I mean, we've progressed a lot. We look back at those ancient times and can't believe people believe what they believed back then. So we're advanced. We're progressed. Well, the thinking of the world is always changing. But the themes around which the thinking occurs is always the same. John goes on to identify the three themes. Verse 16 to 17. For everything in the world, and here are the three, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. These are the three themes. The lust of the flesh. We want something and pursue it. Our desires pull us towards something. Lust of the eyes, we see something and have to have it. We get it. Pride of life, we do something and brag about it. The point that is being made here is our natural thinking is driven by our desires, not by logic. We want something and then we put our minds to work on how to get it and then we brag about how we did it. That's the way the thinking has always been. The big problem with this is this. The world and its desires, these three, they pass away. There will be a time when this will be irrelevant. The objects of our desires lie to us. They are temporary. They don't fulfill us because they are temporary while we, our souls, are eternal. That's why they never satisfy. So if Jesus is in you, you've come to the conclusion that It's whoever does the will of God that will live forever. And that decision sets up a conflict that is both internal and external in nature. On the inside, the conflict is you always struggle with the offers that this world makes because you and I live here. And almost everyone else is pursuing these three as a matter of top priority. And it The the conflict on the outside is that you're going to think very differently than people who are not following Jesus Christ. You will make different decisions. You will have different priorities. And if there's one thing this world will not and has never tolerated, and that is different thinking. 1 John 3.13 says, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. For all the talk about tolerance, the world mindset has never been tolerant. First John 4, 4 through 5 goes on to say, You, dear children, are from God, and you have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. The world just laps it up. We talked about this last week. So when it comes to your moral thinking about what is right and wrong and good and bad, you have a choice. Agree with God and be opposed by the world or agree with the world and be unopposed by it. So on the death side of the spiritual life gauge is popularity in your moral thinking. On the left side, you're unpopular. So what direction is the needle moving for you? Are you getting more and more comfortable with the ideas in this world, or are things getting more tense and more awkward for you? Now, I'm not saying, are you rude, are you abrasive, are you obnoxious to people? That is not the mark of a follower of Christ. What I am saying is, do you find yourself increasingly out of step with the thinking of this world? Or... Are you bending with the pressure and going along with it? So let's step back and consider these three. How would you answer these three? Just just, this is for yourself. Just think. Do you take sin seriously? Are you part of a local church? Is your moral thinking unpopular? Again, this isn't about where the needle is. This is about the direction of the needle, the direction it's moving. It's about signs of life. So what should you do if honestly your answers are moving towards the no side rather than the yes, the life side? Well, following Jesus Christ is one big decision backed up by a bunch of little decisions. A commitment to Christ is kind of like a marriage commitment. It starts with a big decision and it's backed up with a lifetime's worth of daily decisions. You know, what if I were to say I do to my wife and then not do a single thing to build our relationship. I think she would have valid reason and other people who were there would have valid reason to say what did you think you were saying? What do you think those words meant? It's the same with Jesus. If you said yes to Jesus but then you went on to live your daily life just like you always have, it wasn't a real yes. So it's time to go back and evaluate that decision and make it a real yes. You know, in marriage, we don't do the daily work so that we can be married. We do the daily work because we are married. We don't earn marriage. We decide about marriage, and then we back it up with our decisions. Same with Jesus. We don't work on the little daily decisions to earn a relationship with God. We go to work because in Jesus, we've been given a relationship. So go back if you're concerned about your pulse, go back and consider the big decision. Ask yourself honestly, do you really, really want to follow Jesus and do life his way? Yes or no? And if you do, then back it up. Go to work. Look at these three decisions and pick one thing that you can do this week. Is there a sin you can confess? If you're not really a part of a church... Pick a church and get involved. If you're confused about something our world is saying in the area of morals, then talk to other people who are Christians and find out where in the Bible you can read about what God says on that topic and begin to get your thinking lined up with what he says. First John 5, 11 through 13 again says this, And this is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Let's pray. Jesus, you yourself said that in the end, there will be people who will come to you who will claim to know you, and you will simply say to them, I don't know you. So, Father, it really is possible for people to think they are following you, and yet they're not. And you say this not to scare us, but so that we would be aware of what reality is and what is coming. So, Father, I pray that you would help each of us to see where we are and where the life signs are and what we need to do. We pray for clarity, not for guilt, but clarity. We ask this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Seabreeze Church Podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, seabreezechurch.com. Thanks again for listening in, and we hope you'll join us next week for the Seabreeze Church Podcast.